I uh, was encouraged. I got a chance to watch the sermon from last week. Hopefully you're blessed by having Dave Gudgel here. But I realized that he went from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. So really, we don't need to meet here any longer. <laughs> he covered it all. Hopefully you're encouraged by that walk through uh, the Bible and getting the overall picture. If you didn't get the chance to catch that, you can online. want to just uh, introduce, as we're starting to think about this very last section of this book, if you haven't been here, we've been working through these seven different letters written to seven different churches, and the author is specifically Jesus Christ giving counsel and giving advice and reprimand if needed for churches. And this is the last of the seven, and we're going to be working on that this morning. But I was thinking as it relates to this morning that one of the things I'd propose we need in life is an occasional alarm clock. Anybody familiar with this noise? Anybody have a noise that you hate even remotely this much? No, this is, that's one of the, in my opinion, one of the worst possible noises. You can hear you're just peacefully asleep, enjoying some REM, and then that noise shakes you out. Anybody ever owned that alarm clock specifically? I'm pretty sure I had that one uh, with the radio dial. It's something that we dread, but if we're honest with ourselves, like, it's necessary. It's necessary. I I have an internal alarm clock, kind of as you get older, I think you get that. I do wake up, but when there's something specific that I need to get up for, like, I need to still set an alarm to make sure that it happens And here this morning, I would propose that those of us that have followed Christ for a while realize that in walking with Him, there's this tendency to drift, there's this tendency to doze, and every once in a while, we need a little bit of a jolt to wake us up, to shake us up, and to get our attention. And that's what I'd say this letter is to this church in Laodicea. It's the jolt that was needed For a church that had excluded Christ from fellowship in their materialistic self-dependence. I would suggest that probably out of any of the letters written out of these sevens, it's probably the most applicable because of exactly that to the North American church to shake us out of our materialistic self-dependence. You see, there's subtle dangers that come from living in a place with full freedom and prosperity like we have in the United States, because with prosperity and freedom, there comes this tendency to think, hey, I'm all right. I'm in a good spot. I don't have any degree of resistance. I I have the things I need, and all of a sudden, there's no longer the need for Christ, and that's obviously what Jesus is feeling from this church. So I would hope that this morning that God would have a message for us, maybe a message for those of you that are walking close to the Lord, a message of encouragement. But for those of us that aren't, maybe the jolt or the alarm clock that's needed. Let me pray for us as we dive in. God, thanks so much for this passage. I thank you that you care about us enough to not leave us in the state that's unhealthy that you're willing to, to, to stir us, to jolt us, to wake us up to even the, this reality of where the condition of our soul. I pray that you'd speak to us through this text that we wouldn't buy into the blind thinking that it's for the person down the row from us, that it might be actually you speaking to us directly. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this, this room even as we work through this text. 
pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's real helpful to talk through these letters if we're actually looking at them together. So if you wouldn't mind turning with me, we're in Revelation 3, verses 12, or I'm sorry, 14 through 22 is the remainder of this section. We're going to start with verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. It says this, it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, Remember, the angel is the leader at that time of the church. It says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. We'll start in the same way we have with others, give you a little backdrop on this, this city. It's a, literally a specific city that you could still visit today. Each of the seven letters are written here, kind of in the, the route that a courier would go. We can put that screen up. Uh, the first we walked through all the, those first six, and now we're at the last one uh, there in present-day Turkey. And uh, this church was known for a number of things. One of the things that was known for being is an extremely wealthy and extravagant city. Very commercial. It was located right in the center of the Lycus Valley where three different major highways converge. You can still visit the remains of it today, and they're still, even after all of these years, pretty spectacular. The lavish lifestyle that the wealth brought was pretty incredible. They're known for being a banking center of the region. They also produced fabric and medical supplies. One of the things I found interesting is they specifically invented a medical salve for someone's eyes to, to, to promote healing. So kind of an interesting thing. You'll see why that's important later in the text. Because of their wealth, they joined efforts together to create huge theaters, sports stadiums, lavish public baths, and amazing shopping centers. Sound familiar? One of the weaknesses, though, I thought this was also interesting as we get into the text, is that they were known for not having a real great supply of water because of their location. Also similar they were drawing water from an aqueduct about four miles away from the city. And although other cities benefited from having these really hot springs, or actually the church in Colossae, the city of Colossae, known for having ice-cold springs, they were known for just kind of having lukewarm, not that good of water. Interesting. Now, another weakness they had, similar to the city of Philadelphia we talked about a few weeks ago, was they were very prone to earthquakes. Huh, not good water, earthquakes, about that. And in 60 AD, in fact, they were the entire city was leveled by an earthquake. This is a historical event in 60 AD. The Roman government, in an attempt to reach out their present-day FEMA, uh, was they, they sent a message to them saying, hey, we're going to help you rebuild this city. And what's noted in, our, in, in history is fascinating was their response to, quote, we are rich and fully equipped, and do not need a thing. Wow. Can you imagine one of our cities saying that back to the government? No, we're, we, got the, we got this covered. We're all right. That's basically what the city said, and they did exactly that. They rebuilt the city themselves. You see, what happened was their wealth created a degree of self-sufficiency that permeated the entire city, and as you can imagine also influenced the church. Jesus, again, like he's done in the other texts, he introduces himself in a creative way that kind of paints a picture that's relevant, a relevant revelation about who he is. What does it say in the text? Look at 
Scripture yourself, it says, the words of the amen, interesting, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The amen, I love these exclusive descriptions, he's saying, he's basically saying, we use the word amen, it's the only time in the New Testament that he uses that title for himself, it means to be firm, stable, sure, and trustworthy. It's basically saying he's the end of the story on all matters. Usually after something has been said that's true, you've maybe even been in a church where they do this. I get one every once in a while here. You get a, a hearty amen that's to say, yes, that's true. He's saying, I am the amen. I am what represents truth. And he reiterates that with a faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In other words, he is the source of truth. The beginning of God's creation, some people will be like, whoa, does that mean that he was created? No, that's not saying that he was created. He's saying that he's the first, he, not saying he's the first thing created, but rather the origin of all things. Because in Colossians describing Jesus Christ, it says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So let's be clear on that. That's the danger of kind of picking one verse to come up with your theology. But Cena basically saying, I've seen all of this from the very beginning. Uh, any assessment, in other words, any assessment that he's about to make about this church is irrefutable. He's the source of truth. He's seen it all. So any, anything that he's about to say, look, and look at his assessment here, verse 15, it's pretty blunt. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Pretty powerful section there to this church. You imagine being in this small room reading this letter for the first time. You're like, what in the world? Notice no commendations whatsoever. Jesus isn't a God of flattery. If something isn't true, he's not going to say it about someone. He's committed to speaking the truth for our best benefit. I don't know if you have that person in your life. My wife and I have committed to that with each other as being truth tellers. And if I ask if a shirt looks good and it doesn't, she has no problem telling me that it doesn't look good. Maybe you have that person in your life. Well, Jesus Christ is speaking directly to them and saying, listen, my assessment of you is that you're not cold, you're not hot, you're just lukewarm. Usually think about that. Those two extremes are things you're like, hey, cold can be very refreshing. A nice cold Coke on a hot day is fantastic. Hot is refreshing for aches and pains. I don't know if anybody enjoys a hot tub, but man, those are both things, both things that are, are, are soothing and refreshing and healing but if you're not those things, he's saying you're useless to my endeavors here on earth. Think about things that are lukewarm. You're like, oh man, they're just kind of miserable. Speaking of hot tubs, my, my wife and I are finally at the stage with my three kids, are finally at the age where they can stay home for at least a couple hours or an hour by themselves. So we've been trying, we're in a townhome little community that has a community hot tub. And so we try to sneak off on occasion, not as often as I was like the other. A couple weeks ago, we went over to the, the hot tub in our community pool area and went in. And I, I go over there, kind of step, step in, kind of halfway, 
You guys ever done this? It was totally lukewarm. It was like, it was like not really hot, and it's already kind of chilly out. You kind of made that quick walk to get over there. You're like getting in. I'm like, honey, well, let's just give it a try. She came afterwards, and, and we're just like, this is miserable. Like after a while, we're like, what are we doing home? Let's go back to our house. Like this is no, f- because what? Lukewarm, it stinks. Like think about it. Hot, hot, hot water. Like you're having a cup of coffee in the morning. Any coffee drinkers? That's wonderful. A nice hot cup of coffee or tea. Like when it gets lukewarm, you're kind of like, like, I don't want this anymore. Same thing with on the opposite end of the spectrum. A hot day, you drink a, anybody ever drink a lukewarm Coke or Pepsi? You're like, ugh. Like, no, thank you. And that's the point that he's making. He's saying, I wish. What what does he say there? He says, would that you were. In other words, I wish that you're either cold or hot, one or the other. And I don't see it that he's saying that he he wishes you were cold towards God. What he is pointing out is that this half-heartedness is sickening to him. The word spit that he uses is actually the word emu, which could be translated, better translated, to vomit. Literally, he's saying, I can't even take this. I can't even uh, absorb this. My body has the response that all it wants to do is throw up. Have you had that before yourself? Something you've eaten or, or whatever that you're just like, oh, I can't take this. It's just making me nauseous. One of the, the funny stories we tell in my, my family, my parents were at a, at a dinner at somebody else's house uh, with some, some other couples, and the, the lady that was hosting was serving uh, a number of dishes. But one of the things that she had from the story that I've heard was this macaroni and cheese casserole. Well, if you know my dad, my dad's very meat and potatoes, doesn't like to try a lot of different things. And so this, this, this macaroni salad, like he, he put down a little bit in the first round of it, but he tells the story is just like making him sick. He couldn't do it. And the woman comes out and tries to insist on loading up his plate with more. It's like, are you kidding me? So this is the funny part. When she goes back into the kitchen, he put it in her house plant. Like, he, he wiped it off the plate. So later, this poor woman found some mac and cheese in her houseplant. Anyway, you can tease him about that later. But the point is this. The point is this. The point is this, is that there's certain things that you're just like, man, it's, it's just nauseating. It just makes me sick. I can't eat it as much as I want to mentally get over it. It's just, it, it doesn't settle well. And to think about this text for a moment, What is he saying? Jesus Christ is saying that our actions, our our lukewarmness, literally makes him want to puke. Think about that for a second. Our lukewarmness, when when we're kind of partially in, partially not, kind of doing this halfway thing, it literally, he says it right here, makes him sick. Makes him sick. Thinking about that is just heartbreaking to think that my actions, my apathy could make Almighty God, Jesus himself, sick. Why is that? Why is this? I jotted down a couple different things. You can uh, maybe come up with your own list, but the first thing that if you think about obvious, it's reading this in an article this week, is that it's an insult to grace. It's an insult to grace. You think about it, Jesus in his loving kindness to us, came, poured out his life literally on a cruel Roman cross, and we're like, 
yeah, I don't know if I can kind of fully serve him. I'll do kind of a partial thing. It's an insult to grace. It also pushes away others. We saw Chad read the text this morning that his desire is that everyone is to be saved. But the truth is our actions can be a detriment. Our apathy, our lukewarm living can be a detriment to the world that's watching. They're saying, man, if that's what you're selling, I'm not interested. You may have heard this quote before. It's at the end of a DC talk song. Brennan Manning says it. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You see, our lukewarmness is noticed, and it can push people away from Christ. That's why it makes them sick. Last one you see there is it's infidelity. It's, it's infidelity, if you think about it, to say that I love you and then your actions don't at all align up with your statement that you've made. Or even worse, it's, it's not just that. It's, if you think about it from this standpoint, it's cheating on him with other gods. To say, yeah, I like him as one god, but man, I really like this god too. I really like this god too. I, I enjoy worshiping this idol or this thing, or this work, or this possession, or this pursuit. Man, he's saying all these things. It literally makes him nauseous, makes him want to puke. He continues in there, and the one piece of hope there says, Neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out. Give some degree of hope that it hasn't happened yet. Verse 17, he continues to expose their blindness. It says, For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa, he just continues with this intense letter. He goes straight to the heart of the issue. And what I would propose is the heart of the issue is self-sufficiency. A lot of people might read there that wealth is a problem, but really wealth isn't the issue. It's how we view our wealth. Look at how many eyes you see see there. It says, you say, showing their outward display of arrogance, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. You see, that person that's making that statement, one is confused about who's the source of all good things. Say, no, you're not the source. It's not, I am rich. If you have resources that you're managing, it's only because God entrusted those to your care, saying that you've got it all confused, that you're the source, and it's a dangerous place if you ever get to the point where you say, I need nothing. That's the pinnacle of arrogance. I need nothing. Now, that's very different from the person that's just grateful and content, but that's a, a, a picture of arrogance. I need nothing. I am fully self-efficient. If you think about it, What that's doing is buying into the lie, and this is a lie that we're all enticed with. This is the lie that everything is solved with money. They bought into that lie. They'd started trusting in that that line, and, and it's still the same appeal that we have today, present day. You know, if I just had a little bit more. Man, if this account was a little more full, or if this house was paid for, if this, whatever, if I had this, If I have enough, most of my problems would be solved. But the truth is, 
couldn't be farther from the truth, right? It couldn't be farther from the truth. And in, in fact, we, here, here's a good litmus test to see if you get sucked into it. If you ever watch somebody that's won the lottery and you think to yourself, oh, if I had that, man, things would be good. Things would be easy. It would just be smooth sailing. But I was reading this article about all these statistics that tell you a good life can't be purchased by any amount of money. In fact, they show just the opposite. Listen, listen to some of these facts about with resources. More likely, somebody that has more wealth is more likely to commit suicide. That's a big deal. More health issues, even with increased income, comes decreased life expectancy. Isn't that crazy to think about? Because think about how much is attached to the stress of the things that we have. Even with the little that we have, you still see that there's like, oh, this is just more to worry about. This is more to take care of. This is more responsibility. When we were in Chicago last weekend uh, performing a a wedding of uh, Aaron and Shauna, we were excited for them that Aaron or Shauna was the children's director here. But uh, we were out there and we had a couple dis- different chances to visit some friends. We visited another couple, a girl that my wife has been discipling her, her, and, and talking with her a little bit. And I always tease her because she drives this pretty old, beat-up car. And it's, it's seen some age. And every time we see her, she's like, yeah, I'm going to get a new one. I'm like, oh. So this time, like usual, I'm just like, oh, have you gotten a, gotten a new car? And she's like, no. She's like, she's like, you know what I realized, though? She's like, I realized the nice thing is I can hand my keys to anybody and not really care what happens to it. <laughs> Anybody else have that car? You know, where you're just like, hey, whatever, hit a wall, no big deal. And, and then here's the opposite end of the spectrum. So we're talking to her about, about that a little bit. I also visited another friend, and he just picked up this car right here, a 2016 Corvette Z06, fully loaded, 500 miles on it, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I, I got to drive this thing. So, so, so he's like, sure. He's like, you can give it a, a spin. And he's like, it doesn't have many miles on it, so you might want to be cautious. I was driving this thing. I literally think my friend Doug was going to have a heart attack. It was going to be the big one. He's like, whoa, 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 slow down there. Oh, the tires are spinning. He's like, whoa, whoa, you're going to drift off the road. I was like, this is what it's made for. And uh, trying, to con- <laughs> trying to convince, note to self, don't let me borrow uh, your car. Um, but anyway, like he was literally having a near meltdown. We've been friends for many years, so I think we're okay. Uh, but, but, but seeing this, I was like, you know what? Just thinking about that, the way it works with resources, that's a small snapshot of the two pictures in your life. And we have bought into this lie, oh, if I just had this, if I just had this, then, oh, man, more resources, more problems. What happens, and this is the way that it, that it works, is wealth leads to pride, and pride can bring a blindness to one's true spiritual condition. See, the way it works is when you have more, all of a sudden, everything on the outside seems great, and so then you're blinded to what's going on on the inside, right? That's the way that self-sufficiency works. You start to think, man, if everything looks great on the outside, everything's squeaky clean, then everything must be great on the inside when the truth is, if you're real honest with yourself, maybe the description here is a little bit more accurate. What does he say? 
says, for you say, in other words, you think, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing. And look at that contrast. What a drastic contrast. It's not like they're a little bit off on their assessment. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See the contrast there? From thinking I need nothing to being seen as naked. Oh, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big contrast. It's ironic that the place where they were inventing, they pioneered this salve to help with their eye issues, that they were probably the most blind that they could possibly be. And really, isn't that same risk for us today? To be totally, man, things are, things are going well. You look at the different arenas of my life, I seem to be succeeding, this seems to be going great. This seems, and, but the truth is, in my internal world, my heart condition, the thing that actually the, the one, the, the, the amen, actually sees, you say, man, but I see the truth. I see that you're broken, you're discouraged, you're lacking hope. He's saying, man, that's, you're, you're, you're blind, you're naked, you're pitiable. That's what his assessment is. The nice thing is, though, as in all of these letters, he doesn't leave us in that place. Thankfully, you're not like, okay, thanks, Scott, for that cheery message. Verse 18, look at the counsel. It says, I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus, gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may, be, may clothe yourselves in the shame of your nakedness, may not be seen in salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Start with that section, verse 18. You see that I counsel you. I counsel you. This is Jesus Christ himself saying, I'm telling you what you need to do. I'm giving you counsel. Then he says something interesting. He tells them to, to buy from me. And then he goes through this list of all these things. And you're like, what, what do you mean buy from me? Love the picture that we have that we see in Isaiah of what this exchange of purchases looks like with, with Jesus Christ. Take a look at it on the screen. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? His picture, he's saying, he, he's just using this parallel to kind of, he started the conversation about their wealth and their, where they're finding their confidence. But he's saying, listen, that's that in, in my kingdom, in the spiritual world, the price has already been paid. The, the check has already been written. In other words, come and buy, partake in all that is free. Anybody else love free stuff? Like, th 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 you should read this passage and be like, oh, cool. There's lots of free stuff here. Like, that's, that's amazing news on our, our trip to Chicago. We'll finish this story. This is kind of fun. So that same friend, Doug, when we were visiting his house, he had this real nice backyard. And then we commented, hey, these couple hanging like hammock chairs in his backyard. We're talking to him about it. And we're like, man, those are super sweet. Where'd you get those? Or, we're laying them. Adrian was making a big deal about how relaxing she was laying upside down. It was awkward. Um, but, but anyway, we're, we're there and we're interacting with them and making a big deal. We, we later say our goodbyes and go off to the wedding that we're headed to, the rehearsal. 
I get a text from my friend Doug. We've been friends since we were real young. He sends me a text. He said, hey, Scott, just want to make sure you're still at the same address. I'm like, I am. And t- text back, he says, oh, because I, I sent a couple of those chairs to your house. I was like, how cool is that? Here's my, here's my kids in these, these cool ham- hammock chairs. Took forever to assemble. But... uh. <laughs> But these things were sweet. Like, like there's something, it was so kind of God, because we just ran into like $2,500 of car repairs and all this stuff, and I was just like, man, we could use a little bit of, of hope right now. And so we get these things in the mail. It's been a game changer. These things are fantastic. I should be in sales for these. Uh, but, but, but honestly, like it was just cool to see when God does something, he's just like, hey, it's all free. It's all free. In the spiritual world, it's all free. Look at this list. I love that he speaks in a language that they can understand. He's like, he talks about gold. They know a little something about that. White garments, they remember they uh, produce materials there. Salve for the eyes. He uses things that they're going to make sense to them and the audience at that time. Gold, talking about spiritual riches only found in Christ. The white garments, if you notice, that's a recurring theme in Scripture. The idea that we're no longer wearing our attempts at pleasing God. We're strictly wrapped in what Jesus has done on the cross. We've said, I can't do it, but man, this robe fits really well. It fits fantastic. It's the best thing ever. He's pointing out all these things. The Holy Spirit, it would most likely be what he's referring to with the salve of the eyes, taking the blinders off so that they can see. So he's pointing to all these things. He's giving them counsel of what they can do to come back. But I love he also points out lastly there, and this is the same thing we do with our kids. Well, we give them counsel. Then we say, but if you don't, you're going to get it. So basically, that's, that's what, he, what he says here. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So in other words, telling them, man, make the choice, otherwise I've got to move towards discipline. And a lot of people are like, man, I don't know why life is so miserable right now. Well, you might be under God's hand of discipline and not even recognize it. But he points out, he gives them the option, and wouldn't you rather take plan B? Plan A is he's saying, I'll, I'll discipline you because that's what I do because I love you. And isn't that different from even how we associate love typically? We usually think love means do nice things for him, buy more stuff, pamper, accommodate. No, true love means to discipline. He says the alternative to that is to be zealous and repent. Like that's the, the other option. And what I found fascinating just as I was spending time in the, the Word this week, I was thinking about those two things. He's like, you know what? He wouldn't propose them if they're not a choice and within our control. He wouldn't propose them if they're not a choice and within our control. We choose whether or not we're going to be zealous. Zealous, another word, might be passionate, on fire. Like we choose whether or not we're going to be on fire, what our relationship with Jesus Christ is going to look like. It's not something that he has to do. It comes down to us choosing. That's why he's saying choose to be zealous. Choose to repent. If you think about even in your own walk with the Lord, the times that you've wandered, the times that you've strayed, if you're real honest in your heart of hearts, it's not because you don't know how or what it takes to get back to Jesus Christ. It's not because we don't know. It's because we don't want to put in the work. Let's be real about it. 
We don't want to do what it takes. We know what it takes. We know that there's habits that we can institute in our life of being in the Word. We know that when we're surrounded with the right people, that builds us up. We know that when we're talking to God regularly, like it's not a matter of a lack of information. It's a matter of doing. That's why he's just, he's done with them. He's like, I'm about to spit you out of the mouth, and I'm about to discipline you. But he's saying, be zealous. Make the choice. And for a lot of us, it starts with the second part. Start with, uh, be zealous and repent. Repent. Just say, and that's, how many times have we seen in this series? Like, that's been a reoccurring theme every single time. The road back. Repent. God, I blew it. I'm sorry. And he just keeps on taking us back. In fact, look in verse 20 what it says. So he's, he's making this proposal to him, this counsel. Then look, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in into him and eat with him and he with me. I imagine a lot of us grew up with this picture somewhere in our house. Anybody have this picture or, or at least have seen this picture? Maybe it was just, just us. We had this up. This is an interesting picture. It's to represent that, that verse there of him standing at the door knock. You might notice on that door there's no outside handle because it's a choice of the person on the inside whether they open it up or not. You think about it, if you stop and pause, and I was really pondering this this week, and it gave me chills on my neck just thinking about this, how embarrassing it is that he's even on the outside of the door to start with. Think about that. He's writing to his church, his bride, the one he poured him out, himself out for, and he's saying, I'm just standing there, just knocking on this lukewarm, materialistic, self-indulgent, self-dependent person's door, just hoping they're going to open the door, let me back in, let me back into a place of priority in their life. Just think about that, how awesome that picture is of him. It tells you something about God's character, doesn't it? That even when we're just like, no thanks, I'm doing my own thing, I have all I need. I've prospered, I've succeeded, I'm in a good place and he's saying, man, I'd love to be in there with you again. I'd love to be back. I'd love, love to be back. It's a, a call to fellowship for every single believer. That's a beautiful picture of how he responds to a rebellion. Even when we make him sick, it's just like, man, I'm, I'm just knocking. Just knocking. The gentleman just hoping that we're going to let him back in. Pretty awesome picture. Saying if you don't, there's going to be some discipline that comes. There's going to be some, some tough days ahead. I'd rather you just choose to be zealous. I'd rather you just choose to repent. I'm just going to keep, here, keep on here knocking. In verse 21, he goes one more time into all the things that come to the person that responds to his knock. It says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's certain things that we do, and we'll end with this, there's certain things that we do to convince somebody that the effort is going to be worth it. Certain things that we try to do to encourage somebody like, oh, you got to do this, you're going to love it, you, it's, it's going to be worth all the work, all the effort. I remember when I was growing up, and we'll end with this story, I was growing up in my 
friend and I, friends and I love to play basketball. We had this outdoor court, and we'd literally play from like sun up till sundown just all day long. And there's a one particular friend that we'd always call. His name was Jason. We always call and be like, "Jason, are, are you playing today?" And he'd be like, "I don't know. I don't know if I feel like it." He was that guy. I don't know if you have that guy in your your life, the one that takes a lot of coaxing. And we're like, "Come on, Jason. We need you. We're not gonna have enough guys to play." And he's just like, I don't really feel like it. We're like, and before we knew it, my friend Doug and I was talking about before, we'd call him up and we'd be like, hey, listen, Jason, we'll buy you a Burger King after we play. Like, well, we started offering things. We'll get you a big gulp. You know, we'll get you. You started making all these offers and all these things just to get him to do something that we knew that he loved. And we're like, this is so weird. So weird, all the attempts, the appeals that were made for this crazy kid to play hoops with us. And I was thinking about that as I'm reading this last section. We've had this collection in each one of these letters. Every single time, he's making one more, just sweetening the deal a little bit more. He's sweetening a little bit more. He's like, if you conquer, if you stay after this, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. In fact, it's on the back of your notes. You can read it. I'll put it on the screen. Look at the summary of just these two chapters, all the things that he says for those who conquer, those that persevere, those that keep chasing after him. He says, I'll grant you to eat of the tree of life. I'll give you the crown of life. You'll not be hurt by the second death. I'll give some of the hidden manna. manna. I'll give him a white stone with a new name. I'll give authority over the nations. I'll give him the morning star You'll be clothed with white garments. I'll never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I'll write on him tattoos we talked about last week. I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne. What in the world? Like, how sweet does he have to make it? He's saying, listen, have you guys ever been at a restaurant where you kind of nudge your butt over to make room for somebody else to sit on the seat? I just picture that of, of Jesus saying, man, I'll even let you sit on my throne with me. Like, what, what more do I have to offer you to pull you out of your selfish, self-dependent, lukewarm existence? What do I have to, what alarm clock needs to go off in our minds to shake us, to stir us, and say, man, okay, I'm in. Not halfway, not partially, I'm fully in. And I think this is one of those reminders that each one of us, including myself, needed to hear. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you this morning for this jolt, if you will, this pause, this cause to reflect. And I pray that our response would be appropriate for what has been said. With that information, to know what literally makes you nauseous, there has to be a response. My prayer is this week that we would do some self-reflection, that we do the, the work that's needed to be done to readjust the, the track, to get back head in the right direction. For those of us that are conquerors and are persevering and are staying the course, I just pray that this is a, a word of encouragement. It's another glimpse of all the awesome free stuff that comes. We don't have to experience the, the shame of our sin. We have riches on the, on the horizon. Riches that don't 
get destroyed by the things of this earth that don't crash, that don't burn. God, I thank you so much for this word this morning. I thank you for your patience, just thinking about you outside of a door that you should have already been on the inside of. Just knocking and patiently waiting for us to invite you in with the invitation that you'll come in and dine with us. The intimacy that that picture is awesome. Praise you this morning, God, for caring about us enough not to, to just leave us in a place that we're at, to call us to more, to invite us to more, to invite us to partake. Such a good and awesome God. We praise you here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, my hope is, is that this would be one that we kind of stew on a little bit, that we wrestle through. It wouldn't just be a, a message that gets added to the pile of messages that we heard, that we really reflect and ask God, am I blinded to my own spiritual condition, that God would do a work on each of us. Amen? Have a great week. God bless you.